1: Welcome to the coaching show with your host, Master Certified Coach Christopher McCollum.
0: It's astounding that we're getting this show off the road off the ground right on time. It's astounding. You wouldn't believe the hustle. There's dozens and dozens of people behind the scenes making this thing go today. Hello there, my dear listener. Thank you for being with us. You have arrived. You're so smart. You arrived on the perfect day because today's show is extraordinary in the extreme. I can't tell you how great it is. It's so so amazingly great. All right. Uh, What do we need to talk about in the world? I think in the world, one of the first things that we need to talk about is we at here at the coaching show that because (laughs) I call it that because I'm a genius at naming stuff. We are so delighted to be in our fourth year of media partnership with the incredible international coach federation. Uh, As a media partner, we get to promote the fine work of the people at the international coach federation. They're, Incredibly dedicated, and as you know, we just coming off the ICF Converge conference, our first global conference in like six years. It was an extraordinary event. It was in Washington D.C. in August. Now I know what you're thinking: oh, Washington D.C. in August. Why would we do that? Why would I go there? Well, just so you know, they also arranged for beautiful weather, so it was amazing. Great, great time, and we got a lot, uh, a lot to talk about from that conference. But I want to take you back in time to uh, another conference, which was the ACTO conference, the Association of Coach Training Organizations, also in 2017. For the first time back in June, we planned a joint conference with ACTO and GSAEC. Those are the people who teach uh, uh, coaching inside of graduate schools. And so we had the academic approach and the practical approach people there all together. And the keynote was extraordinary. It was Dr. Richard Boyatzis, and he talked about effective coaching for sustained desired change, resonant relationships, emotional intelligence, compassion, and hope. He talked about case studies. He talked about some of the great work that's being done in uh, neuroscience, and he's our guest today. I know. I know. It's an extraordinary show. But I think I I need to digress back to my previous digression from my previous digression, to the International Coach Federation. So, you know, they're the leading global organization dedicated to advancing the coaching profession. And the ICF does that by setting high standards for coaches, providing independent certification for coaches, like my certification, the MCC, and building a worldwide network of trained coaching professionals, as well as accrediting coach training and coach training organizations. Uh, We are honored to be able to support the fine... Uh, work done by the world's largest organization of professionally trained coaches. Also, as I've told you before, my favorite thing about the ICF is the research storehouse that they are. But they also elicit instant credibility for members like me. You get your ICF membership and your ICF credential, and you're accepted as a coach and a professional throughout the world. Uh, ICF is committed to connecting professional coaches with the tools and resources we need to succeed in our careers, and you can learn more by going to the ICF and staying up to date on coachfederation.org, or follow them on Twitter at, at ICFHQ. That's at ICFHQ. And we're delighted to have an ICF representative on our show each quarter. Uh, it's to bring you up to date. The other thing I want to shout out to is um, our sponsor of this show for the last... 15 years, 15 years in a row, the fine folks at Accomplishment Coaching have seen fit to sponsor this show. Now listen, if you're the, like me, well, you probably got problems. But if you are like me, you look. one of the things you look for is the finest wherever you go. So I'm looking for the finest tailor, the finest shoes, the finest everything, and that includes coach training. If you're looking for the gold standard, the Oxford, the Harvard, the Stanford, whatever you consider to be the finest. Okay, Yale, fine. Uh, The Finest Education, check out Accomplishment Coaching for the finest education in the world for coaches. Accomplishment Coaching does one program, one program for an entire year. They have more hours of coaching, more actual coaching, more coaching of real human beings from the outside world, not coach your neighbor. They have small group in-person coaching is the only way they train. And it's extraordinary, not only the number of books, the number of tools and distinctions, but the actual, if you want to coach for a living, Accomplishment Coaches, coaching graduates Thrive more than any other Coach training program out there Check it out, Accomplishment Coaching One of my favorite things about Accomplishment Coaching Is that you can go and observe the training program In process, not a sales pitch Not a you know show But the actual training in process And sort of see behind the curtain Look in the black box, so to speak uh, So check them out, Accomplishment Coaching Here are the cities they're in There are six of the cities, five of them All of them in North America, five of them in the United States Ready? San Diego, America's finest city, Seattle, Washington, the Emerald City, Uh, Victoria, B.C., which I've just returned from and is gorgeous there, up in Canada, Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City, New York City, the Big Apple, and our nation's capital. And gosh, don't we need some coaching in this nation's capital these days, Washington, D.C. Check it out, accomplishmentcoaching.com. All right, let me uh, welcome and introduce you to our... Special guest co host today. Jason Dukes is an innovator in personal transformation. He's the founder and CEO of Captain's Chair Coaching. You can find him on the web at Captain's, plural, hyphen chair, singular, dot com. Jason focuses on bringing peace to the world and helping people embrace their gift and give it to the world. Uh, His work is extraordinary. He's also got a strong spiritual base and, uh, He owns and holds responsibility for the African-American conversations and bringing more diversity into coaching and into the world. You can find him on uh, the website, captains-chair.com, but he's also on YouTube, on Facebook, and everywhere else. Please welcome to our microphones, Jason Dukes. Hello, sir.
1: Hello, sir. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Look around outside. Where are you?
1: Uh, Today I'm actually in Asbury Park, New Jersey.
0: Excellent. You know, somewhere out there, uh, Bruce Springsteen is singing. That's all I got to say.
1: Yeah, you know what? Actually, from the room I'm standing at, I can look outside and see the Stone Pony, one of the uh, wow. one of the places where it all happened.
0: Wow, are you in a bar? It's not my business. You, you go ahead. <laughs> if you want to be a bar in first thing in the morning, that's all right. There's nothing wrong I'm, with that.
1: I'm not. I'm not in a bar.
0: <laughs> the captain's chair is actually a bar stool. We've just found it. <laughs> all right. Uh, anything you want to say before we get to? I can't tell you how brilliant. I have a huge intellectual crush on this guy. This guy is so brilliant. We're going to talk to you today.
1: I, I am too. I'm. I'm so happy. I'm. Well, a couple things. One, I'm happy and honored that I get to be here as a co-host. Two, uh to this show and also just looking at at all the, the the background information it's like oh wow i'm gonna become a nerd that's right with all of this uh but just just a couple just happy fourth year anniversary uh being an icf media partner and um and yeah i could i could vouch for both the icf and accomplishment coaching i went through accomplishment coaching i coach for a living i'm thriving and making a huge impact
0: all right thank you for all of that and thanks for being with me. You're, you were a huge hit the last time you were here. So welcome back. You. And, um, you know, I, I hope you don't blow it, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about if you introduce our distinguished guest? And remember, I saw this guy in person, and he wowed me. So I just everybody buckle up, because this is going to be great. Are you there?
1: Yes, yeah. I'm here. Sure. I, I invited
0: uh, you to yeah introduce him so you would talk now. Is how okay, absolutely.
1: Well, Dr. Richard is the distinguished uh, university professor, professor in the Department of Organiz- Organizational Behavior, uh, Psychology and cognitive Science at Case Western, uh, Reserve University. Uh, adject, professor also. He's authored more than 200 articles in eight books. Uh, his book includes The Competent Manager, Primal Leadership, um, and also Resident Leadership. Um, his MOOCs have over 700,000 enrolled. <laughs> Over two hundred and fifteen countries that's super big do you know what uh, do you over, know what a sorry?
0: do you know what a MOOC is
1: no i don't
0: these these I found out what these MOOCs are they 're incredible these are the um, online courses right that you know started a while back, so this means that over seven hundred thousand people have clicked on and learned from him online extraordinary right
1: gotcha yeah okay yeah, i was I was actually going to check out one of the I'm the Coursera.
0: Yeah, one of the MOOCs uh, at Coursera. One right. of the MOOCs. All um,
1: right. So, yeah, he has over five uh, five 5,500 hours of coaching um, and has been teaching and training coaches since 1970 uh, and published 22 articles on coaching. Uh, Professor Richard, he's uh, acquired his bachelor's degree in aeronautics uh, from MIT. Oh, yeah. We're going on to – sorry?
0: You have one of those, don't you? Uh, oh, no, we don't. A bachelor's degree in aeronautics and astronautics from MIT. Right, we don't yeah. have that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah,
1: well, and then and then of course you didn't stop. Right, and then a master's in, and a PhD in social uh, psychology from Harvard University, um, and as a board certified coach. So, I'm, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Totally I'm sorry. ready for this one?
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I said that thing about Yale earlier. All right, <laughs> please welcome to our microphones for the first time ever, Doctor Richard Boyatzis. Hello, sir. I cannot hear you. I hope you're there. Let's try it again. <laughs> Dr. Boyatzes? Yes, good morning. There you are. Hi, how are there you? Hi. Uh, look around outside, sir. Find, uh, where are you today? Where do you locate yourself?
2: Uh, <clears throat> I'm on the beach in uh, on Cape Cod in East Ham. I'm I don't know. am facing if, I Coast Guard that. Beach and the ocean. If I decide to really take a trip and go straight out from my window and my decks here, I'll end up in northern Portugal. <laughs>
0: I want to be there now. Well, as I said, look, you you can do no wrong with me because I had the honor of seeing you at the ACTO GSAEC Combined Conference this year. And you blew us away, not only with your good humor, as people can tell already, but um, your uh, your brilliance on the topic. When it, oh, thank you. <laughs> when it comes to coaching today, with all of your experience, with all of your brilliance, with all of your training, what do you see as the... Big, biggest issue or one of the biggest issues face, facing coaches today?
2: Well, I, let me preface by saying that, um, you know, I, I launched into this field of a, applied psychology in 1967. So I've been at it for a long time and doing both research as well as uh, interventions of all sorts. And I think coaching will replace training as the dominant form of development, wow. uh, if it hasn 't already by numbers, but uh, I, I think within ten years we're going to see very little face to face training, and the number of hours that each person spends in coaching conversations is going to keep escalating in this geometrically escalating uh, curve and because of environmental issues and time away from work and how difficult it is to travel these days, I think face to face coaching is on the wane now. It doesn't mean that people can't uh, help with things like MOOCs, which is really asynchronous learning. I mean, it's online learning, but it's without talking to another person at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then you have synchronous learning, which is what we're doing right now, where you're in touch with somebody at the same time, although you're not in the same room with them. I mean, the real future of development from graduate schools and undergraduate schools to continuing lifelong learning, is in a hybrid of these different methods. But at the heart of it, for most of the people in the world, training programs are socially inappropriate or uncomfortable because of their sensitivity to hierarchy. Most cultures of the world don't feel comfortable with a person sharing something or saying something when somebody in the room has higher status. Yeah. Coaching... Yeah, coaching ends up being one of these things because most of the time it's one-on-one or uh, one of the ways I advocate coaching is in small group peer coaching that you find that people can not have to worry about that. So uh, I think the opportunity is here unless we blow it. (laughs) Now, um, you know, my, my data on managers and executives and in certain professions is that about 70 to 80% of the people practicing it at the time aren't adding much value And <laughs> it comes from all I'm, these competency research studies I've been doing since 1970. Also from um, every job I ever
0: had also would speak right, to that. Right,
2: yeah. right. Now, unfortunately, um, I can't, and, and because some of those studies include psychotherapists, of which I was one in the 70s, I, I've got to say, I can't eliminate coaching today from that statistic. So... Uh, When somebody says to me, well, they went to a coach and they didn't have a very good time, I'll say, well, how do you know they were a good one? Or you might have just not had any rapport. Try another one. I mean, you never tell a person to just go to one therapist if they need help. You recommend two or three people. I I think the same thing with coaching uh, and finding coaches. And of course, uh, when people get into these small study groups for peer coaching, uh, they're going to automatically follow this kind of organic process. So, with that as a somewhat if not critical um maybe even a little cynical view of those of us practicing the profession um i think that the more we engage in intellectual integrity so the more we seek out continuing development the more we pay attention to rigorous and appropriate research i mean as as you both know, um, the dominant organizations out there, certifying coaches right now, ICF, CCE, and WABC worldwide, um, all have a good intent, which is they want to assure some kind of quality for others who are hiring coaches. Right. Um, sadly, they have no research evidence behind what they're doing. So, well intended, but... Um, as I showed in the ACTO conference in the talk that you witnessed, that only 40 percent of the things that they are all three of these groups are claiming are competencies really are. Mm-hmm. And there's only one of them so far that has any evidence, any research evidence to show that it's actually linked to effectiveness in a coaching situation.
1: So where um, where where do you like where, where are some of the places like some of the resources where this information exists currently?
2: That these things don't exist. I mean, let me let me reverse the question. Ask for a validation study. Now, I've talked to the president, vice presidents, regional presidents, board members at ICF. I've done the same thing at CCE. I haven't talked to anybody at WC. They all admit it. So it's not like somebody's hiding something. Right. What they're claiming is they're trying to do the best with, without the information there. Um, so I'm not claiming, no, please don't, mis- don't misunderstand me. I think this is; these are well-intended, good people trying to help ensure quality. But I think we have to be a little um, careful in the claims we make uh, because what we're saying is people to get certified in one of these systems have either taken a training course, a test, a knowledge test, um, or maybe even exposed a coaching session on audio tape to some kind of coding um, that people are doing. Now the system that they're using has consensual validity in the sense that they get it from a whole bunch of people who are coaches. Right. But you know, consensual validity is full of what we call bias, or let me use a stronger word prejudice. So back in the, Early 70s, when I was working with Monsanto, there was an internal norm that said you wouldn't get above mid-level management unless you'd been a plant manager in one of the chemical plants. McDonnell Douglas in the 70s and 80s, you wouldn't get to be in the executive ranks unless you were a fighter pilot, an astronaut, or an engineer. Um, And we can go over and over and over again, all of these notions about what happens when – or organizational mythology – Win. And the problem is, the only antidote to have integrity is to get the research done. Now, this is not easy. There's a reason why the research hasn't been done. I mean, I've got two proposals out right now talking to people, one in Europe and one in the US, in which we're trying to get a group of coaches. You know, we probably need 75 to 100 coaches to agree to have eight to 10 of their clients fill out some tests beforehand at the beginning of the coaching and then a year later meanwhile we need the coaches to fill out a bunch of stuff and it's hard it's hard because you can't just do self-assessment on these measures because it's not you know then the person might be a legend in their own mind what you have to do is do some 360s and other things so it's a very complicated data collection process to validate the competencies Uh, now i my hope is the fact that when we started our coaching focus in our, our research group a Case back in 2000, I think my doctoral students found 17 empirical studies ever done on coaching anywhere in the literature. And I was an author, a co-author of two of them. So there just weren't that many out there. Now, there are special issues of the Consulting Psychology Journal, the Journal of Applied Behavioral Science. And, and you start to see articles about coaching Uh, that are empirical studies appearing in various journals. And that's good. That's good because that says um, over the next 10 years, we will help to establish the kind of evidence base that would help us make these claims. So when I said, as long as we don't mess it up, um, I think what we have to do as um, an activity group or a profession or an identity group, i.e. coaches is be able to say, yes, I'm actively studying these things um, or I'm actively participating in a wide variety of training um, and let it go with that. I mean, you know, you can do the old consultants. You know, we have the greatest answer. You know, we have the panacea. If you take our approach to coaching, you know, you'll be cured. There'll be peace in the Middle East. <laughs> and and won't be, uh, river blindness and sub-Saharan Africa uh, b- but the fact is that you know
0: it's uh, yeah. you,
2: you start to worry a little bit about where's the mirrors and blue smoke as Norman Mailer used to refer to it or you know what's what's snake oil and and what's real now snake oil implies that somebody's trying to do a trick I don't think that's the case almost anybody that I know that is a coach not anybody I do know a few Unscrupulous people who claim they're coaches. But I, I know those guys people, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the people I know that are coaches are, are trying to help, you know, and they're trying to reach out and help other people. So I, I don't think the missing foundation for this work is, has any malevolence or, uh, you know, ethical lapse in judgment involved in it. Let me just repeat that. These are good people trying to do good work. I just think we have to be a little more careful about our claims. That's all. That way, when we do have the evidence, we can then make the claims, and be able to say, "Look, there's some rigor behind it."
0: Um, Yeah, and I and I love the point. It's certainly a clear one that the core competencies are essentially anecdotal, right? This is a bunch of coaches got together several years ago. Some of us know those coaches who created these core competencies as sort of a guideline, and I think. You may be aware that they're redoing them now. In other words, they're moving to trying to move to something that could be at least you know ISO related. That you know by having these sort of um, changes in them. But your point is well taken. That still there's a dearth of research information, actual credible Fun, research. Funda- yes, Fundamentally, until
2: we can start to point to multiple studies, mm-hmm. no one study's going to do it. We have, have to have replication to say when a coach has these characteristics and acts in a way that's consistent with these behaviors and has this kind of mindset or framing, their clients improve on these dimensions. When we get to that point, we can say with confidence what we're doing works. So for example, now I am certified, so you know, I'm willing to um, duck the issues and take the tests as well, but one of the criteria in certain of these processes is that the coach always has to take the client's definition of the problem Mm -hmm. as the thing you're going to work on. Well, I've got a problem with that (laughs) because if we believe that that was the way to good helping, then why don't doctors ask you how you've diagnosed yourself when you come into their office.
0: Although you know, there's a, there's a minor point that could be made that with WebMD, most people have these days, but I, I take your oh, point. No, 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 no. <laughs> but the doctors don't accept it. You know? Right, so, fair enough. So
2: what happens is, you know, the person reads up on the Internet, and, you know, it's like they they get the medical student's disease. You know, in the right. second year, medical school students come down with all these diseases because they're reading about them. So the dilemma is why, why don't they do that? Because... Um, They're looking at the person's presenting issue as maybe the problem, but it may be a symptom. And it may be misdirection. They may have misclassified it. So what our research, and I'm talking about real research, published studies have been showing, because we've been doing the longitudinal effect on a program of which coaching is a part. So I can't make the complete attribution to only coaching. But coaching is one of the three distinctive features of this particular course, um, one-on-one coaching and peer coaching, um, is that we've got plenty of evidence to show an impact on real competencies, emotional, social, and cognitive intelligence competencies. And some of these are not just one to two years later, but in one study, one of the doctoral students followed two of the cohorts um, five to seven years after they first entered um, the program, So we know you can get change in people's behavior, which is how they're acting as seen by others. I would contend and have since about 2002 that one of the things we need to be more careful about is measuring how we change people's dreams, their vision, their sense of purpose in life. Because I, I would contend, and some of my colleagues at the time who have been doing various coaching since the 70s, Um, agreed and, in fact, made the statement even stronger that perhaps the most impactful coaching we do is when we help somebody change their dreams, change their aspirations, realize their deeper sense of purpose rather than just changing their behavior. So in my theoretical model, I call that changing their personal vision. But up until about four or five years ago, I knew of no single test that would help measure that Now, there are several out there on uh, calling sense of purpose and ours which is on the ideal self um, and you know until you have a decent measure it's very hard to get that because prior to that you know you'd have to have a person sit down and write you know for an hour an essay and then you'd have to get people to try to code it and it's and it's very complicated um,
1: well, Now, from a, thing, from a from a, from a sure. neuroscience standpoint but with um with helping people change their dreams, like, and I'm, I'm actually curious from a neuroscience standpoint, like are we, do coaches help, help clients change their dreams or kind of just realize the dream that they already had, that was just maybe in a blind spot for themselves. Like how, how does that work from a neuroscience standpoint?
2: Well, from a neuroscience standpoint, what you have to do is activate the lateral visual cortex, which is where a person imagines things. But more importantly, you've got to activate um, the default mode network, which is a major network in the brain. Now, the problem, as I've talked about in several of my published uh, articles, is that very often when we ask people to be analytic, to study the causes of something, that we move them into a different network called the task-positive network. And since about 2005, people have in print been documenting first conceptually and now empirically that the task positive network and the default mode network suppress each other. It's why every time you get people to go nerd and with financial analysis or met- metrics or dashboards, you actually chase out their ability to be open to new ID which is our two characteristics of the default mode. So In one of our published studies and another three papers that we have, which we're submitting these days in succession to different journals, we showed in two different fMRI studies that 30 minutes of coaching to a person's dreams three to five days later activates these many parts of this, not all, but many parts of this default mode network in contrast to asking people what they should be doing. Uh, which I call the negative emotional attractor. Hmm. And and it turns out that that, it's not surprising, but um, that activates the task or this task positive network. And it gets people to hunker down and be more narrow. So I'm contending based on our fMRI studies. And then the backup we have with all the behavioral studies is that vision based or relational based relationship based coaching is far more important if you really want to help somebody find their path in life and find some sense of uh, engagement, satisfaction, contribution to others, then problem-based coaching, in particular, where you take the client's definition of the problem. Now, as one of the ICF executives said to me after one of my talks um, in a discussion, of course, you have to come back to that person's definition of the problem or what they said they came to you asking about because A, they may be right or B, even if they aren't right, it's still stuck in their mind. Exactly. And they may have trouble getting on without doing it. But what I'm saying is the context should be vision and, and I didn't get to it, but in the quality of the relationship. Now, a lot of coaching research has used dependent variable of as the quality of the relationship, which very often comes out as client satisfaction is really commenting on that. And that's good. I mean, that's actually very sound because if you don't have a good, trusting, caring relationship, you're not gonna get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the context that we should be aiming for um, is one of what the person's big dream and sense of purpose and building a quality relationship. Now to go to your point directly, We're not talking about saying to somebody, oh, that shitty dream, you know, like, (laughs) stop that. Or as we used to say in alcohol Anonymous meetings, you know, that's stinking thinking. (laughs) We're not talking about We're We're saying, and here's another one that people just go bananas at, is the, the emerging, I mean, here I am, or author of one of the earliest studies published in 1970, showing that when you set specific goals, you're more likely to change on it. Two-thirds more likely to change than if you don't set a goal. Mm-hmm. Well, not so fast. It turns out that when you think of specific goals, you go into this task-positive network and you close down. So there is evidence now suggesting that specific goal setting limits adaptation, new behavior, openness to new ideas, which, you know, is a sacred cow of organizational processes when bet. I say this people's you know hairs on the back of their neck get up and they get really upset so yes organizations need goal-setting because you have to do planning what I'm saying is does it help motivate people well the only people goal specific goal setting helps motivate are people with what Dave McCullough called an unconscious drive called high need for achievement and those are people who like to be in sales You know, they like to play golf and, you know, they like individual measurement and stuff. Um, But most of the people, even most leaders and executives, and I would say almost all coaches, um, don't like that because nobody would go into any of the helping professions if you really wanted to measure your performance every day. Because, you know, sometimes it's going to be years before you know whether or not you're helping somebody into work.
0: So what that means is specific goal setting actually gets in the way. So what? Yeah, are you going to tell me what to do? Because I'm unnecessarily depressed currently, (laughs) or maybe it's necessarily. That was just my own evaluation. I'm sorry. You're depressed because because uh, first you told me that the core competencies, which I have studied, trained, and mentored people on, are basically the result of you know kind of current values, fads, and or something that people just made up and have no validity. But now we are saying that a lot of the things that we as coaches do on a regular basis, right? Let's go specify your goals. Obviously, specifying goals has right, some right. value and validity, right? If if yes, people are yes, working towards yes. you know nothing. Okay, so let me
2: let, let me now take the edge off of your uh, incipient depression, <laughs> or just send or just send me a prescription. Either way it would work. Well, it is you're in California right now, and it's too early for you to start <laughs> drinking, so I can't recommend that. Thanks. So, first of all, I didn't say that the competencies in the current models. Ha- Um, aren't right. I said there's no validation of them. So we don't know, and a better way to say it, we don't know which ones of them are good and which ones aren't. And my contention is that when you try to I mean, competency should be anchored in performance. And when you try to judge it, so for example, right now, a number of these quote-unquote competencies are actually job tasks. And when you assess somebody to job tasks, you're assessing whether or not they're willing to conform to the current way of thinking of how you should be.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So in the 1940s, and in any, too many organizations still, that means that the, the boss, the manager, the uh, professor, the doctor, tells other people what to do. We now know, amp- we have ample evidence, and you know, we've got some of this data going back decades, that that's a really foolish way for, to get people to alter their behavior. So I wasn't saying it's wrong. I'm just saying until we get the good research, we're on shaky ground. Gotcha. Okay. And and instead of discarding it all, I'm saying just say it's well intended and you've got a code of ethics um, and we'll see. Um, Now, in terms of goal setting, Mm -hmm. what I was trying to do is differentiate when we talk about a person's vision – or a sense of purpose. We're talking about their dream. And that's different than goals. That's what I'm trying to differentiate. So, um, and and this is one of the reasons, look, I treated alcoholics and drug addicts for the better part of the 70s. And I knew that if they were only trying to maintain sobriety, which they have to do, but if that was their only goal, they'd be back drinking in six months. Mm -hmm. They had to have something bigger because maintenance of some change effort is stressful and it's hard work. So the same thing with this issue of um, goals versus vision and dream that I think a part of our role is to help people articulate what their dream is. Now, there are a lot of people who don't often do that. And they talk about the process of coming up with a personal dream. And I'm talking about a 10 to 15 year out image you don't want it to be something that somebody forecasts, um, and I think it's right. I think we have a lot of imperialistic, if not oppressive, practices in our lives. If we go into other countries where people really do live under conditions of oppression, um, you know, there are a lot of people who haven't been allowed to dream, and and it's therefore it's hard, and some people are scared and they don't want to dream because they're afraid they'll disappoint themselves. You know, and there are all these kind of rationales, but when it comes down to it, if you don't dream about it, I can assure you the likelihood of the it happening is about 5%. And so what I'm suggesting is that a part of our job is not to change somebody's dream,
0: but to help them find it. That's really um, critical for us to keep front and center especially as we go through our day and sort of many of us who've been in the profession for a while sort of have our routines pretty easily set. Jason, what have you got for Dr. Boyatzis? What uh is this is this making a change for you in how you approach it? Are you seeing something for yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, one of the things just for for me as a person, it's like, yeah, wow, you know, my my goals compared to some of the things that I that I dream about because, you know, some of my dreams are still like you know, five, six year old Jason, like with these dreaming of how the world should be and dreaming, um, about things. So I got something out of that. Uh, the other thing that I got around, you know, kind of the, the depression of like where, where the industry is, um, you know, the, doctor, would you, would you be, like, can you just, Tell us really about. Didn't call, the, didn't the, call me
2: Richard. Team okay, Jason, Richard. Didn't call me gotcha, gotcha.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, about the just the progression of the industry um, and and how it's gone and, and really what stage, what stage the industry and and the profession of coaching is in compared to other industries, so that people don't don't take this conversation as like, oh man, we're, right. we're up we're up a creek. Like it's it's really just the progression if, of how.
2: Yeah, if we were stonecutters or carpenters, we're in about the 13th century. (laughs) Um, which Now, now that's not saying we're way behind the times because it was around the 13th century that the trade guilds started to form um, training programs. Prior Mm -hmm. to that, you just found somebody and you hung around them, you know, the old apprenticeship model.
0: Yeah, that's how I I learned to
2: coach. Yeah, right. I would say that we are at the point where we're articulating a set of standards. We are spending a lot of time talking about ethics, which I think is great. Um, we're, we are offering all around the world a lot of different training programs and approaches to coaching. And I think that's really good because when, you know, you only have one approach that's supposedly it, if that approach doesn't have a lot of data behind it, then, you know, you're on the yellow brick road <laughs> and you don't know who's behind the curtain. So I, I actually think, you know, we're making a lot of progress and we're, as a field, um, you know, and, and I don't know, I mean, some people say, well, it's not really a profession, but, uh, or some people say it's the oldest profession. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was just my clients. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. but, but the point is, I think we're moving ahead at a very rapid rate. Um, and I think that's good. So I think, you know, I, I just, I personally uh, feel if somebody comes up to me, as many of our graduate students do, whether they're MDs or uh, managers or human resource people or social workers, or whatever, and they say, well, I've never done any of this coaching. I don't think I have, but I'd like to really learn about it. I'd say, OK, um, there are only two master's programs that I know of uh, at accredited universities, ones at the University of Sydney, Anthony Grant's group. Uh, But it's kind of hard to get there. Um, And ours isn't launched yet, but it's about to be hopefully in a year and a few months. um, That actually, you know, does a lot of these things at the graduate degree level. But I don't think you need a degree for it. I think what you need to do is to go to a training program that teaches you the basics. So, for example, one of the programs that I really respect these days that helps people learn you know, what are the basics of coaching? How should you act? And has some skill building component is, uh, Tim group at uh, the Teachers College at Columbia. Right. Terry Malbia. Great. Yeah. Yeah. A great. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't others. I'm just saying I'm picking on that one because I happen to know it and I've watched graduates and, you know, I can attest to it. And then there are myriad various approaches to coaching. You know, where you go through anywhere from three days to right. four weeks of training in, um, you know, David's Rocks results based coaching. Right. Or you know, in my case, it's coaching with compassion, um, you know, at my university representing what we've been doing. And, and there are a lot of those. I, I think you were talking about some of your sponsors. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, results based coaching. There's accomplishment based coaching. There, there a lot of people have different labels for it. I think, and what I say to people is don't worry as much as getting the certification, worry more about getting a lot of certifications. Nice. Because if you go, and, and I, I don't think you do it all at once. I mean, you stage it out as you're practicing being a coach. But if you go to two of these a year and learn different techniques and approaches, What you're doing is taking your approach and allowing it to morph, allowing yourself to experiment with different techniques and approaches and mindsets. And what you will end up with is an eclectic um, style of coaching that suits you. And if it genuinely suits you, then chances are you're more likely to be able to help others. Yeah,
0: Um, Our our time is flying by, so I want to make sure that... um we get to a couple of points that that are just pretty critical that you're the world's authority on. By the way, if you've been listening and and uh, hearing Dr. Boyatzis talk about his university, we're talking about Case Western Reserve University, of course, and um, as you said, you've done a lot of work on compassion, and I think that we yes. that's one of the things that we think we know what we're talking about, but we don't actually. Okay, okay. good. Um, Back in 2003,
2: Melvin, Professor Melvin Smith and I started writing about this. Now we have a whole bunch of publications. But the idea was we're using compassion, not in the usual Western or even Buddhist sense of feeling for those in pain. Mm-hmm. We're using a more Confucian approach to say it's caring about others, it's more um, what's called benevolence, reaching out, being open to, and maybe helping somebody in pain, but also maybe helping somebody enjoy helping somebody with a problem, and helping somebody who wants to grow. So we're using a broader definition of compassion that really comes down to, if you will, caring and action. And, you know, I was reminded uh, last week in a doctoral seminar how, um, you know, a lot of this goes back to Carl Rogers' 1961 book on becoming a person. Right you know demonstrate genuineness accurate empathy and unconditional positive regard Mm -hmm. Um, now the twist comes in if your act our contention is that effective coaching occurs when you're coaching to the other with the other person with compassion versus the typical way people try to quote unquote help which is we call coaching for compliance so every time a manager wants you to act with more team orientation every time your in-laws want you to change the way you're clothing your children every time your spouse wants you to do something that's different in your behavior um, and every time your doctor tells you what you should be doing to avoid you know losing body parts they're doing what I call or we call coaching for compliance and what happens is and this is where our studies have come in to support this is that activates a part of the brain and the hormonal system that puts you into a stress response. And as soon as that happens and you start thinking about what you should do according to somebody else's image of your dreams, it's activating what I call the ought self. And now you're into obligatory behavior. And that's where even if you love and respect the person who's saying it, at some point you will resent it and you close down, you don't open up. So our contention is that, and and in this book that Melvin, Ellen and and I are trying to finish um, now on coaching, you know, as a metaphor for all helping, we contend that the reason an awful lot of both education as well as training, not to mention medical practice, doesn't really lead to significant changes and betterment, uh, I mean, it leads to betterment of people, but not as much as it could, given the amount of time and money put into it, is because everybody's pushing other people around for good intentions or because they think they're the expert. But um, th- that's where I think our, our sense of um, compassion becomes key. Are you really willing to honor the other person's dreams, their values, their sense of who they are?
0: it uh it has you know i think i think the alternative is what would you call it you call it coaching for what compliance 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 and so when we look at those terms if if everyone listening today did one thing different if you could have if you could wave your magic wand and have each person do one different thing today what would you have us do what would what would the sure. the at manifestation the of this be yeah at the beginning of
2: One of your helping encounters, whether it's with a colleague, your spouse or partner, your child, a client, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Is you stop and say, why is this important? And keep asking the question, why do you want to do this? So, for example, when you're doing this with organizations, they say, well, we have to make money. Why? I mean, making money isn't the purpose of any organization. It's a measure of how well we're doing, but it's not a purpose. Um, And you really want to try to help people reflect on and share with you why they're engaged in this. So, you know, when my internist last week pointed out that my, you know, some of my uh, lipid profiles were, you know, most of them were really good, but one was off and I need to
0: lose weight. You know, I, I, could, I could hear your yeah. lipids in your speaking yeah I'm
2: yeah right right well that's okay i've, I've got thirty years of uh, internists telling me I should lose weight, and I have i mean i 've lost fifty pounds twice and thirty pounds once. Uh, the problem is I gained it back, so um, part of the dilemma is when other people are telling you what you should do um, it 's not coming from within, and when it comes down to the day to day tough aspect of as Angela Duckworth calls the perseverance, the grit part of it, um, it's not there. And it's not that you won't change a little bit, but it's not sustainable. I mean, the other day I was watching the TV show, but uh, the BBC, because they were talking about the average number of times a person when they join a health club for one year actually goes to the health club. And now I don't know if it was true or not, it was on a TV show, but they said it's 11. But it does fit with my discussions of owners of certain health clubs and trainers that most people don't follow through. Um, And that's because New Year's resolutions are often framed in terms of what you aren't going to do. And what we need is the positive that brings us to it. So what could you do? Ask people in a relaxed way, why are you interested in this? Why is this important to you? I mean, imagine if every faculty member opened their class with that discussion and said, here's the syllabus. Um, You know, it'd be a whole different way of understanding intentionality. We know that adults do not change sustainably unless they care about it, unless there is some intentionality. And yet very often we want to jump to the assumption that you've got the intention. um, And if you don't, you should. And as soon as you do that, you're pushing the person.
1: Right. Well, and some, my, s- yeah. some other resources that, that you have are, are these these MOOCs or, or MOOCs where you have uh, yeah. 700,000 people enrolled in over 215 countries. What are some of the topics that you have and how do people find them? Well,
2: one, one of the MOOCs, the first one that I got involved in doing for my university on Coursera was inspiring leadership through emotional intelligence. That's the one that you know, has been going for four years and has, I don't know, 640 something thousand people that have either enrolled or visited the program. The coaching one we launched a few years ago has 72,000, I think right now. Um, So in these, you know, in the inspiring leadership one, I introduced the concepts of the positive emotional attractor negative, how intentional change theory, I review some of the neurological as well as behavioral evidence. And why we offer a whole lot of exercises. I think the reason why our MOOCs are so popular is we're exercise-based, much less than test-based. In the coaching MOOC, it's the same thing. I mean, do we think this will make people into great coaches? No, of course not. It's it's a way to introduce people to it. So the thing about these MOOCs is dosage. You know, the videos tend to be like 10 and a half, 11 minutes long, and there are exercises and things to think about. So I always recommend it as a way for people to get a feel for this. Um, and, you know, with both the anecdotes as well as the exercises, it gives people a handle. Um, it's, they're on Coursera. Uh, I am the the, pers- the faculty member doing the emo- inspiring leadership one. The coaching one is uh, Professors Ellen Van Osten, myse- myself, and Melvin Smith. Um, and they're free for the first month, and you could do the whole course if you're uh, a high achiever and <laughs> want to go through all the videos and exercises. But um, and that's why I got into it is I wanted to expand how people could get access to these ideas. And there are a lot of people who you know don't do it by reading, and in various cultures where you know the cost of a book in the United States is is two months or three months salary. Um, they can click on the internet and watch some videos. So uh, I I find it to be uh, encouraging and a resource for others. Um, We also, we started three years ago, a coaching research lab here at Case. Um, Again, I think we have the only other university-based research center on coaching, Mm -hmm. other than the the folks at the University of Sydney, but with multiple studies. Now, sadly, Individuals can't join, but uh, organizations can and find out about the latest in the research. But we launched um, a listserv, Coaching Research, something or other. Um,
0: <laughs> How do we find it?
2: Yeah, right. I, I should have been more prepared <laughs> for this.
0: He's madly looking at it It's just up.
2: so many decades since about. I was a consultant. My, my promotional abilities really are horrible
0: these days. <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, <laughs> allow allow us to uh, first of all let me let you know that we've got about a minute and a half left, and of course I want to give it all to you, Dr. Richard Boyatzis. But um, what's the best place for people to find information on you? Is it to go to Coursera and do the MOOCs, or is there another way to uh, get a hold of? That's all this a way to
2: work? get videos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if you, get, you go on YouTube and you get a whole bunch of videos, yes, um, including ones that I did in various coaching conferences. Uh, you could um, just go ahead and Google me and find out a bunch of the different publications. Great. Some of the practitioner oriented books, like Prima Leadership and Resident Leadership and Becoming a Resident Leader, um, are easy to get through Amazon. Okay. And when all is said and done, you know, it's like if either one of you said you wanted to follow up on a particular uh, topic that uh, we talked about today, and you email me. If I have the article, I'll send it to you. Wonderful.
0: And so, where you've been kind enough to present us with a couple of articles, which we'll put up on thecoachingshow.com. Um, right. it, it, I, as I've suggested, we're down to about 43 seconds left, and I invite you to use it all. Dr. Oh, there it is. It's, it's, it's Coaching Research Net. Great. All right, And that,
2: it's a, we're, supposedly to list serve for people with coaching research questions.
0: Wonderful. Uh, so with 30 seconds left, I give it all to you. What's your parting thought today? If you had something to say to 50,000 or so coaches, what would you have us know? Life's too short
2: to not be living your dreams or getting close to them, um, including things you'd love to be doing in your relationships, but also ways of helping others.
1: Hello. And
2: i just think that we
0: have to go ahead well I, we've lost him at the last moment i just think we have to will be the last thought of course that was jason dukes you can find him at captains plural chair singular.com captains dot chair.com and rich dr richard boyatzis we're so grateful to you for being with us that's another edition of the coaching show we'll talk to you next week Join culinary masters and legendary winemakers for one of the largest Epicurean celebrations, the 14th Annual San Diego Bay Wine and Food Festival. From November 12th through the 19th, this week-long extravaganza features celebrity and local chefs, 200 amazing wineries, 70 of San Diego's best restaurants, and it's a week of citywide events. Go to VinVillage.com to save big
1: on select tickets.
0: For event and hotel packages, visit SanDiegoWineClassic.com. That's SanDiegoWineClassic.com.
3: 6813. That's 1 888 548
0: 6813. Hi, Scale listener. This is David Finkel, co host with Jeff Hoffman of Scale Your Business. I wanted to let you know that our newest book, Scale, was just released and to encourage you to get your copy. The book will give you seven proven principles to grow your business and get your life back. Scale will help you work less by getting your business to produce more. Get your coffee online or at your local bookseller. For more information, visit us online at scaleyourbusinesstoolkit.com. Cybersecurity is the fastest growing job sector. The San Diego Mayor's Cyber Cup encourages kids to consider computer security as an interesting course of study and a valuable career path. Securing our eCity helps lead this youth competition to create interest and awareness among students and their schools. The San Diego Mayor's Cyber Cup. Learn more at securingourecity.org or call 619-630-2444.
3: Do you love wine, but it doesn't love you back in the morning? Then it's time to try Alcotox, the ultimate hangover cure. Alcotox is a dietary supplement that reduces the harmful side effects of alcohol, and it benefits all alcohol consumers, not just those who occasionally overindulge. So now, for less than the cost of a drink, you can wake up hangover-free. To learn more, go to vinvillage.com and let Alcotox make hangovers a thing of the past.